0: Actually resetting your clock and going through that hor Did you have a hard time waking up this morning and doing this? <laughs> I, I did, I have to admit. this. And I even went to bed early to anticipate the lull. So uh, it's nice to see every one of you. Uh, this is the last class in a course on angels. I Is this the fifth week, right? Or sixth week? We, this is an extra week, six weeks. We're going to do five. Six weeks. Okay, so once all is said and done, you, you received probably about five hours of instructions on angels. And uh, even though I'm a great teacher, nobody can jam into five hours. You know, I'm kidding, right? No one can jam into five hours exactly what we need to know on this topic. But we did the best we could and gave you a start. And now we're here at the end. And so today I want to try to be very ambitious um, and give you some things to think about and some resources in the future if you want to continue studying about the topic of angels. So if you look up here, um, these are the things that we're going to talk about today. Conspiracies. So I want you to start thinking now of the top five conspiracies that you think are prevalent in our culture today. Uh, Then I'm going to teach you something that's called the chiasmus principle. It's found in the book of Revelation. It's essential to understanding the role of angels and human government and how they work next thing we're going to talk about is cosmic war from revelation 12 which involves the angels and then i'm going to give you a conclusion that will solve every one of your problems now my friend jim is going to pray before we begin this morning so Dear Lord, thank you for this time that we have together, and thank you for John, Lord, and uh, thank you for giving him his gifts of teaching. I'm sure we've all learned a lot. I know I have. Father, I just pray that you bless each person this morning and uh, help uh, John's wisdom to be transferred to us in learning this material. I pray that you'd be with each and every one of us the rest of this week. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Okay, if you want to have a fun time this afternoon, uh, since it's still bad weather, you could get uh, your PC out, go on to Google, and type in top conspiracy theories. Uh, and they have list after list after list after list plus a very excellent Wikipedia article. that goes into phenomenal depth. I mean, this is a very extensively researched article that goes through all of the, not maybe all, but many, many, many. Plus, there's a list of 100 uh Conspiracies listed out, and they all are categorized. Now, ha- you've had a chance to think about it. So, what do you think the greatest? Con- yes, sir. The Kennedy the assassination. That one is perennial. It's in the top five. I don't care what list. Uh, the vast majority of Americans do not believe that uh, Lee Harvey Oswald acted only alone, and he was the only perpetrator. Uh, and that, you know, and it goes from there to and. My friend Jim here is very learned on this topic. Well, you've read a lot. You've kept up with it, and you know it's it's like a virus. It goes like this. It goes on and on and on, and no one has convinced anyone uh, that their conspiracy theory is either right or wrong, so it's just a big clot of indigestion that sits at the heart of American history. What else? Yes. Yes. 9-11 9-11 was uh, either done under a false flag, uh, rogue operation, or B, that our government knew that it was going to happen and let it happen so that we would have justification to go ahead and do what we did in the future after 9 A lot of controversy on that. What else? Uh, well, yes, the Jesus story is myth. Now, that one just keeps... Um, uh, swirling, but the one that really is a conspiracy theory was made popular by Dan Brown in the book The Da Vinci Code. How many of you read it? Okay, what's the core thesis of this book? Jesus was actually married to Mary Magdalene and had a child, and his child, uh, his bloodline, became the Moravian French rulers, and therefore you, we still have the descendants of Jesus Christ on this earth today. Now, how big was this? The Da Vinci Code. I mean, monstrously big. And the movie, Tom Hanks, monstrously big. So there's a lot of people that are into this theory and, and think about it and believe it to be true. Jesus was just a man. He got married. He didn't rise from the dead. Of course, if that happens, if that's true, if Dan Brown is right, what? What's true? What's r- <laughs> uh, Yeah, you're all in a cult. And find something else to believe. Yes, what else? Conspiracies. Ah, oh, thank you. A- Roswell, New Mexico, 1947. Area 51, what's there? Aliens. Aliens. And uh, that's just the tip of that little iceberg. Okay, so there's a little bit of alien remains out there in New Mexico. The real truth is what? The real conspiracy is what? Uh, well, of course they b- helped build the pyramids. They instructed uh, us humans on how to do these things. They gave us the gifts of technology, but what's the big conspiracy? No, no, I didn't have anything to do with Jesus. Uh, what? What? The, not only, the government is in a com- agreement with them. Yes, our government is in agreement with aliens, and they are running uh, in a cooperative fashion. Uh, our governments, uh, in, in not with the knowledge of aliens, do exist, and we've got an agreement with them. Uh, and you guys don't know this? You have not heard this? I mean, seriously, there's lots of people that believe these things. All right, let's do one more. What else is hot? Yes, sir. Uh, <laughs> yeah now what there was that book that was actually published The Curse of Rocky Calavito do you remember that bestseller and uh, so Cleveland's been cursed and there's a conspiracy to boy that that one's got to be true though really (laughs) okay so have some fun with it look up all these conspiracies and like some of them yeah it's fun to laugh at them and then some of them they the reason that people believe them is why What? There's always plausible evidence and data. There's something there. It's not like they're ridiculous. All right. now I don't care what conspiracy that you read about and look at you are not going to find a bigger conspiracy than the one that's contained in the Bible. And on the topic of angels uh, you come right to the heart and core of this biblical story of the grand conspiracy that's going on in our world today. So I want to juxtaposition the grand conspiracy of the Bible against all of the other conspiracies that are waging uh, for the control and allegiance of people in our society today. Let's put that biblical conspiracy down and see how it fares and what you think about it. So, to do that, we've got to start with this first, this is storyboard number one, and this is called the chiasmus construct. And you have a handout, and if you don't have one, raise your hand. And we will get... Where are the extra ones? That's there. Who else needs one? Okay. Donna, just come and help me and take this one, take these back to other people that don't have it. Okay, now that you have this, you can see in the middle, there appears to be a a weird character. kind of looks like an X. Greek scholars, that is what? It's a Greek character. It's called Kai. Yes, Okay. So, uh, in English, it comes over as C-H-I, and, you know, you hear about it in fraternity sometimes. Okay, you can see it looks like an X. So, the chiasmus construct is a rhetorical device. It's a figure of speech used in writing in which you, c- you contrast things against one another, and you lay them out in a literary pattern so that they are in opposition to one another. But you always use four, and they're always in dualities with one another. And then you embed these contrasts within the body of literature so that you can kind of see the contrast that the author is making. It's just called the chiastic technique. Does anyone know this? Anyone familiar with this? Okay, it's it's a standard literary technique. It's found in the Bible. It's found in uh, the book of Revelation in particular. And I want to show this to you really quickly. But I want you to notice on the outside there's a chart <coughs> oh, excuse me. <coughs> For government <coughs> End of winter. Is there any uh, perfect government, number 10. Has there ever been a perfect government? OK, do you think there's ever been a government down at the bottom that was a zero government? Totally, absolutely unredeemably corrupt and evil, with no law and order, nothing, just, yes. we're close. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right, you are not luring me into any political statements today, I'm speaking in broad generalities, somewhere between, I don't think there's any been, ever been a government that's a zero um, even in Germany, for example, there was some law and order and some justice, right? No? We had a flood, right? You want to g- the flood? Okay, if you want to put that one in there, sure, that was okay. Time when God said that's it. But generally speaking, it's pretty hard to find a government that has absolutely nothing redeemable about it. My point is What? Government's always on this scale from one to nine. I don't think there's any perfects and I don't think there's hardly ever any totally bad ones. Now, what does this mean? Because this picture from the book of Revelation shows you how the spiritual supernatural forces that are operating in this world are in relationship to government. Now, I want to show you this really quickly because it's pretty beautiful. Find... um, Revelation 1.10 and 4.2 I, I want you to see these phrases that are used One ten and 4.2 and John says that he had basically a vision an orama and he says it was done when he was in a state of mind or consciousness or being which he calls what? Say again. In the, in the Spirit. Okay, so when John says, I was in the, and I'm going to use the shorthand here, the Greek letter, pi, in the Spirit. I was in the Spirit. What does he say he saw then in chapter 1? Some of you will be able to get the answer to this through the cheater Bible headlines some uh, on your Bible. Some of you will be able to look down at the text and see what he sees, but who knows the answer? What did John see in the Spirit, chapter 1, Revelation, the glorified Christ, Christ the head of the church. Yes, so this is a vision of Jesus Christ. Okay, in chapter 4, verse 2, look again. You see he uses the same phrase again. He does this purposely because it sets up the whole structure of the book of Revelation, and the whole book of Revelation is structured against the backdrop of of a political, governmental power that was under the control of a fallen angel. That's what the whole book of Revelation is trying to say. So I'm going to show you this structure. Four two. what does it say? Uh, where's th- is there a phrase there that you've seen before? He was in the Spirit. And does your Cheater Bible headline say what he, it, it was that he saw when he was in the Spirit? He sees the throne. He sees God on the throne. Actually, this vision goes through chapters 4 and 5, He sees God on the throne, God the sovereign Lord of the universe, and the Lamb of God slain before the throne, the one who died on the cross for our sins, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a cosmic vision of God, the ruler of the universe. All right, now go over to 17.3. So the first, these two visions here are about God and Christ, the rulers of the universe. Now you go over to 17.3, and you'll see something interesting there. There's another phrase, Who's got it? What's what's similar about these verses? In the spirit again. Uh, Revelation 173, we're all there. I want you to see this. He uses the phrase, I I was in the spirit. So when he's in the spirit, that means he's looking at things from God's supernatural point of view. God is illuminating him. When he's in the spirit in chapter 17, who thinks they know what he sees? He sees a vision. He sees uh an orama. It's not a literal, but it's a truth. What's the Cheater Bible headline say? The woman on the beast is a very vanilla-ized version of what he saw. The great whore is getting hotter on a number of levels. This is Mystery Babylon. This is the the mother of all prostitution, this is a picture of a woman drunk with the blood of the saints sitting on and I'm sorry to offend everybody's Christian ears but she's just not sitting on the beast she's in bed with the beast she's having sex with the beast ah this is Christian what? believe it or not you're going to be shocked when I tell you what is this? it's Christian porn thank you (laughs) yes it is what is pornography? Judge. Remember the Supreme Court said. <laughs> no, the Supreme Court said. one justice said. I don't know what it is, but I know what it is when I see it. Right. Which is one of the great evasive answers. The uh, Supreme Court justice was asked to define pornography. He said, I don't know what it is, but I know what it is when I see it. <laughs> What's pornography? Porno. It's uh, pornea, Greek for uh, sex, fornication. Um... Sexual intercourse, graphia, writing, pornography is what? Any verbal or pictorial depiction of the sex act. Revelation 17 is depicting a sex act. Ah! Aren't you glad you came to Sunday school today? (laughs) Next time somebody tells you I'm against pornography, you should say what? It's in the Bible. (laughs) Then show them, show them it's in the Bible. Maybe you'll convert a pornographer. I know you don't believe me, but go home today. Read it. This woman that's sitting on the beast. Who's the beast? I'm sorry, Cindy. I'm sorry, Richard. Your concerns have to give way here. Who's the beast? The Antichrist. You see? He... The beast is opposed to the Christ. What's he pictured in the Bible, in this book, Revelation, as? An animal. What is he? Christ. In the book of Revelation. He's a lamb. (coughs) An animal, a lamb, an innocent lamb. What's the Antichrist pictured as in the book of Revelation? A beast. An animal, a savage, wild animal soulless animal that destroys things two beasts ruling for contending for supremacy in this world aha so now we have the Antichrist but he's in bed with the great whore the great prostitute Um, I'll just do hip-hop today to make it short it's okay to laugh that's what John is doing it's what he's calling her and what's the opposite this is simple what's the opposite of a prostitute a bride now find twenty one nine and ten John laid this out purposely I am not making this up this is purposely embedded in the book of Revelation to send a message so that people understand what's going on in this world. He's writing to Christians, and he wants them to understand. So what, is, what does he see? Do you see a familiar phrase, by the way? 21, 9 through 10. He's in, he's in the Spirit again. So that means he's supernaturally being illuminated. He's seeing things from God's point of view. What does he see in the, su- in the Spirit? The wife, of the, lamb. the wife of the Lamb. The wife of the Lamb. Who's the wife of the Lamb? The Lamb. That's you. So the book of Revelation ends with this vision that the bride, all those who believe in Jesus and his blood sacrifice for their sins, the Lamb of God, when you put your faith in Jesus, you become the bride of Jesus and your destiny is to be joined with Jesus, married forever, one with him, and that's how the book of Revelation depicts heaven it is a cosmic honeymoon. Now, the other paradigm, the other unfortunate tragedy side is what who's these people if these people are the ones that believe in jesus then who would these people be well they're not the devil because they're humans this is the agent of the devil the opposite of christ christ is the messiah this is the anti-messiah this is a human a man who's going to try to take over the world but who are these Uh, All those who don't follow Jesus are followers of Satan, yes. So they are depicted as what? As hoes who are in bed with Satan because they're whores, because why? This is painfully shocking language, isn't it? Good thing I didn't write this. I'm reporting. You understand this, right? Why would you call somebody a prostitute? Well, what's the essence of prostitution? You sell something that's not just a commodity. It's bound up with your very being. You're selling your body, and inadvertently, you, what? you're selling something that shouldn't be for sale, your body and your soul and your spirit. For money. So he's depicting the people of this world as those who are selling out their bodies, souls, and spirits for what? For what? For whatever the opponent of Christ can offer us in this world. Now, can you see if this is really, now, this is what he says is the truth that's going on. So you've got two groups of people in this world. Those who are following the spirit of the Antichrist, who's, you know, technically not here yet, but many Antichrist have come, John says. And you've got the uh, people that are joined with Christ, following him. What would be the likely scenario, if this is really telling the truth, if this portrait tells the truth about what's going on in the world, what would be likely to happen? Well, maybe a lot of people will go to hell, but why do you think there'll be a war? Because survive each other without a war. All right, so here, here we are, the first century, and I don't know when time will end, but we'll just put it out there as a hypothetical dot, right? And since the first century, what the Bible says has been going on is... This is the backdrop. This is the war that's been going on. And in here is human history, and sometimes human history and the governments that, that wind up leading human history, they fall more under the sway of the Antichrist movement and the followers of this world than they do of Christ, and that's when you get what kind of government. And in fact, John... Look at the last verse of chapter 17 of Revelation. This will blow your mind. This this is a group of people, but he also says it's the city. And I'll tell you why he does that in just a minute. The last verse of Revelation 17, and the woman that you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. Now, what was the great city that ruled over the kings of the earth in the days of the apostles? Rome. So this is a picture of the city of Rome, but the essence of a city is not mortar and brick. It's what? It's people. That's why, of course, in Revelation 21, 9 through 10, he says, come here, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. But then what he winds up showing John is what? Who picked that up? Go back and look at it. He sees a city descending out of heaven and that city is called what? The New Jerusalem. So it's a double metaphor because the essence of city is what? Citizen. What's a citizen? A person, a dweller of a a city. So a city is really people. So this is the, this is the redeemed people of God the new Jerusalem this is the people who are saying no to God they become the prostitute the whore of Babylon and they are contending these people groups are contending some under the control of Christ some under the control of the Antichrist they're contending for supremacy and control in our world this is what the book of Revelation teaches now I'm going to stop here what do you think about this chiasmus structure embedded in the book of Revelation like it okay we can say it's true what if it turned okay, if it's true then what does that mean what would, the, what would this mean for us Eventually, this war that Jim has alluded to hey hey, by the way, just to be fair, is it ever possible? Has it ever happened that there are people under the control of Christ and God who decide that we're going to do the right thing and we're going to actually live in accordance with God's laws and teachings, and we're actually going to set up a society that's fair and just and loving and honorable. And you have something that's called what? Good government? Does that ever happen? Once in a while. <laughs> judge, you know, I, I isn't that what you do? In the newspaper, somebody was arrested for tentatively running a prostitution location. <laughs> yeah? I'm just saying that it relates to the Okay, so there would be one pocket down here in which our... Yes, he would. But the judge and all the other people that are working in government, isn't it true that some of them are actually trying to do the right thing? Yeah, I've been told. You've been told. (laughs) I'm having trouble with it. I guess. (laughs) Oh. So you want to say that you think like lots of people live in this middle zone. More like spiritual Switzerland. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, I'm not, I'm not into being a whore and I'm probably not a bride yet, but I just want to live my life. Yes. I, I think you're probably right. However, that's what's going on phenomenologically in the, in the minds of these people. They're not trying to be exceeding, exceedingly wicked but they're not also trying to live in the spirit. They're just living the normal human life. Okay, right? I, I think... Yeah. I th- you are right. That's another good point, because even Paul says over in Romans 2, 1 through 16, he describes the righteous Gentiles who are trying to do the right thing. For when the Gentiles, who do not have the law, do instinctively the things of the law they demonstrate by doing the works of the law that the work of the law has been engraved upon their hearts. So, yes, Paul says that human beings know God's law. It's been engraved in their hearts, and they try, some of them try to do it. at least had some reference to a a sovereign, a a God that was beyond mere human law. Yes. I agree with you, I agree with you, I agree with you. I don't think most people are aware of this at all, that this is really going on. So this is really God's in the spirit. This is where it really hits us moderns. This is the ultimate conspiracy theory. What is God telling you through this theory? That Yes, I know the world looks this way and has the appearance of this and we explain things these ways, but in reality, what's really going on is what? There's an enormous war going on behind all of this spiritual Switzerland and humans trying to just get along in, in life and they may not be aware of what's really going on, but behind the scene God and the Antichrist movement are in a ferocious war and As it turns out, you may not be a really bad whore. Hey, I just thought of something. Wasn't Kitty in um, Gunsmoke a golden-hearted prostitute? Right? There, we could talk about Rahab. Yeah, I mean, this sounds harsh. I know it does, but it's not intended to be uh, taken as a slam on the human race. It's taken as a challenge to us to say that unless you're joining yourself to Christ, inevitably, no matter what you do, you're going to wind up doing what? Serving the Antichrist movement. And you might be thinking you're doing the right thing, and you might even be trying to do the right thing. In fact, I'll even grant you there's a lot of people that do this they, individuals can go down here and live and then what? Can you think of one? Yeah, Who? Well, I, I just oh, yes, yes, of course. Richard, uh, um, Charles Colson. He said if, if President Nixon told me to run over my grandmother, I would. Right? He said that. He said that. Not not anybody about him. He said it. My president told me to run over my grandmother, I would. So he would do anything, Nixon said. How about John? John Newton, a slaver, writes Amazing Grace, becomes one of the bride. Paul. David. Somebody say? Sure. Any individual can get like a cursed person could be just going through life, not really realizing this war is going on, trying to do the right thing, having a little bit of fun in the world, once in a while go to Vegas, so it stays there, then also good nice member of the community, whatever, you know right? This is the normal person. They don't understand that there's a raging spiritual war going on. But as that illumination starts to come, and a person is going down this line and doing this, eventually all human beings are brought to the point of decision and they have to do what? Are you going to align yourself with Christ? Or are you going to align yourself and turn away from Christ? And everybody's on a different spectrum. So, this is what's going on according to the, the final book of the Bible. Yes, sir. Just like if, if you would have been, if you were at a rec- exercise uh, place, you guys are all working out, and, and one of the guys said to the other guy, hey, man, isn't that stuff about Area 51 weird? I mean, isn't it, tr- isn't it be crazy if there really are aliens among us? I mean, you guys ever have conversations like this at the workout place? But if you did, if somebody started talking to you about that, you're likely, and really got into it and was enthusiastic and told you about all the cool books that were out that showed that aliens really have been found at Area 51, Roswell, New Mexico, 1947, eventually you're gonna say what? (laughs) Uh, Hey, great chatting with you, but I gotta go over to this other machine now, right? Because you're gonna say, this guy's whacked. But what I'm trying to do is ask you to look at what is the Bible actually saying is going on in this world? Now, if you sat there and and told most people at the workout machines, yes, I believe right now there's a titanic struggle going on between the spirit of Jesus Christ and the Antichrist movement. And you are being given a choice in this lifetime to either join the bride or the whore. If you told most people that that's what you think is really going on in this world, they're going to say what? You're crazy. That's why... Here's the key key phrase right here. It's in in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit has to illuminate us and give us a revelation so that we start seeing things this way. Because if we don't look at things in the Spirit, what's the other way that you can look at things according to the Bible? What's the opposite? If you don't look at things in the Spirit in the flesh what does that mean when you look at stuff in the flesh is it okay and what but what does that mean you're just using your natural it doesn't mean you're evil it just means you're just using your natural abilities and god is saying to us i'm sorry your natural abilities formidable as they are and formidable as you think they are they are not good enough to let you know what's really go on, going on in this universe because there's really a conspiracy going on. You need the Holy Spirit to uh, open you up. Now, it gets worse. <coughs> Revelation 12. If you have brought a Bible today, you could crack it out. And what I'm going to try to do is give you the high points. Also, I, I had a number of copies of this paper made, and I want to allude to this set of books right here. Uh, Has anyone read the C.S. Lewis Space Trilogy? Oh, wow. A couple of you have. Okay, my goal is to get you guys to read this as a follow-up to this course. This trilogy is about angels. It's uh, it's called the Space Trilogy. It's C.S. Lewis's imaginative account of space travel, finding other kinds of intelligences and and aliens on other planets. But most importantly, all shot through the book is this stuff about angels. It's a great story. Uh, here, I'm going to pass this out. If, if you want a hard copy of this today, unfortunately, it costs $2. If you want it free, write to Cindy at that... Uh, uh, CAFrally at yahoo.com. You can take one of these. If you do, give 2 bucks to Cindy at the end. But it's a paper on these books that I wrote, which will greatly help you to understand Revelation 12. Now, who thinks they know what Revelation 12 is really all about? There's some characters in this book, and I know some of you don't have Bibles, so uh, I'm going to just sketch it out for you. Here are the characters that are most... Prominent. Okay, so the picture or the vision or the orama starts off in Revelation 12 with John having a vision. What he sees is a woman clothed with the sun, the 12 stars, and the moon. And she's pregnant. And she's crying out in exceedingly great pain she's going to give birth to a baby. Uh, Just as she's about ready to give birth to the baby, a dragon comes and stands right in front of the woman to eat the baby before it can be born. Yeah, you know, the book of Revelation is very vivid, isn't it? You guys realize I didn't make this stuff up. This is I'm just reporting on what they said. So this dragon's going to eat the baby as soon as it's born. The baby is born, but God intervenes, comes down, snatches the child up, and takes it to heaven. Now, who thinks they know what this means so far? Yes. Okay, now you went, uh, yes, you went right to the particulars, which is great. Uh, the woman, Mary, is one particular example of what this woman stands for collectively. Israel. Israel. The woman is Israel, of which Mary is the ultimate Israelite. And what was the destiny of the nation of Israel to do? What were they supposed to do? Their ultimate destiny. Bring forth the Messiah, the baby. It says about the baby that it's destined to rule the nations with a rod of iron. That's a quotation from Psalm 2. Who's the baby that's going to be born destined to rule the nations with a rod of iron? The Messiah, Jesus. So the baby is Jesus. So the dragon is, Herod is the particular manifestation of the dragon at large. And who's the dragon at large? Satan. Okay. So after, so this story is telling us something. The Jewish people were put on the earth through Abraham and their ultimate destiny was to bring forth the Messiah into this world and you read about their story in the Older Testament sometimes they did pretty good in their destiny of representing God and most of the time you read in the Old Testament what's going on with them nation of Israel it's kind of like reading your own life story right you didn't laugh you read about the Jews, and you say, how can you be so stupid to do that kind of stuff? And then all these bad things happen, and they return to God. Okay, so the whole story of the Older Testament is this up and down, up and down thing. But the main thing they were supposed to do, they did. What were they supposed to do? Bring forth the Messiah. They did. Now, this Savior, this Messiah that's been brought into the world, as soon, he was, as, soon as he was about ready to be born, what does John say happened? He wasn't even hardly born. He was, he was just being born, in the process of being born. And what does John say happened? Satan tried to stop that plan and kill Jesus before he was basically even born. Why would he want to do that? if he could get rid of that one then he could continue to be as the Bible calls him in the New Testament the God of this age 2 Corinthians 4.4 and not only the God of this age but he has according to the rest of the Bible all of these fallen angels of which this story Revelation 12 tells us one more uh, extension of here's the fourth person that's prominent who's Michael he's an archangel he is the equivalent of Satan in terms of class and this book this chapter says there was war hey now this this tells you about war where We're on earth Revelation 12 is telling you about what war that took place in heaven so there was a war between the dragon and his angels and Michael and not his angels but the Bible calls the angels that went with Satan his angels just to make the point what that they made a choice and gave up their allegiance to God and gave their allegiance to Satan so does the text tell us what the relative proportion was of angelic split and vote on this controversy how many angels went with Michael very good somebody said it right two thirds and one third One-third went with Satan, and two-thirds went with Michael. So they have a war, and what do you think happens? Yes, Michael and his angels were victorious over Satan and his angels, and it says they were thrown down to this earth and as it were sort of a, uh, confined there in which they now have arranged themselves and if you want to read about it in detail you can go over to Ephesians six, ten through 20 in all of the various principalities and powers and authorities and spiritual wickedness in heavenly places there's a little taxonomy given And the thesis of the New Testament is that these fallen angels are now doing what? Does anyone know? They're leading the whole world astray. And they're being led by the God of this age. So this impacts, this spiritual war that's being brought to bear upon us as human beings of necessity has an impact on what dimensions of human life. government because <clears throat> y- this world is made up of humans so if you have people who are following the mindset or the leadership of fallen angels they're going to translate those policies, those ideas those notions into some sort of social construct by which they lead their nations and therefore those people are going to be under X level of control of fallen angels. Is that making sense to you? You guys are looking at me like I'm a cult leader. I, doesn't it, is this conspiracy blowing your mind? Okay, maybe it's not. Uh, the, okay, these people called the Illuminati. This is another one of these great conspiracies that human beings get involved with. The Illuminati are supposedly a small coterie of people who are actually running the world. Sure, it doesn't matter what you want, these demonic entities will find what you want and give it to you so that they can have a certain level of control over you. That's the whole thesis of what's going on in this war. So, is that the end of the story? We got one-third evil angels. They're now arranged arranged under the authority of Satan, and they're running schemes and strategies on the individuals of the world. And by the time they get done running these schemes and strategies, what happens is, is that they take some of the human race down here and corrupt them. And then the other human part of the human race is fighting, not against those people. Why not? No, why not against those people? Yes, because Paul says we're not wrestling against... Flesh and blood, but we're wrestling against principalities. Our problems are not with the people per se. It's against what? These demonic entities that are running their schemes. Now, is that the end of the story? Because Michael still is in the picture, and he has with him what? Two-thirds of the angels that did not fall. So what do you think they're doing while watching Satan establish himself as the god of this age and set up all these compounds of control and uh, influence. What are the good angels doing? Sure, they help wherever the bride is. Their task is to make the bride faithful to cling on to the message of the Lord Jesus Christ and get that message out to people because that's the means by which people get set free from the God of this age. Now this is the conspiracy theory of the New Testament that um, is laid out for us and I want us to give I have a little time left. We have about five to seven minutes. Now that you've heard this, who wants to comment on it? Let's talk about it. What relevance? Yes, sir. What, what, And the U.S. And the U.S. Yeah, um, this is a, um, this is why this is a cool construct. Because this bypasses political uh, affiliation. You can't help it if you're born, like for example, my people are from Russia. Uh, close right to the Ukraine where they're fighting now. So they all decided what? In 1913, we're getting out of here. So they left Russia and came to the good old U.S. Um, It's a switch of uh, political allegiance. You can do that in this world. You can move all over the place. But if you're stuck in a certain place and you can't get out, um, that's not the deepest truth about you that you're a Russian or a Ukrainian or an American. What's the deepest truth about you? Are you a part of the bride, or are you part of the prostitute? That's what the New Testament is causing So there would be, in this model then, this isn't just one uh, nation. It's all of the peoples of the world that have collectively decided to get together and live out their lives without God. That's what that represents. Yes. Well, now tell me, as you hear this today, could you get any kind of an explanation of why many ministers may not want to talk about this? <laughs> you can say that's a Wall Street graph. Where's the final conclusion taken? Well, the final, to answer that question, the final conclusion that the book of Revelation points us to is. Why don't you choose to become part of the bride and go and be one with Jesus and God for all eternity, right? Instead of this other continuing to turn away from God. That's the conclusion. Now, now your point is what? You you hear this stuff and come on, be honest. Is this sound as crazy, crazier or just a little bit crazier than the top 10 Conspiracy theories that many people believe in our world today. That our world is run by reptilian intelligences from other planets. That on and on and on. What do you think? Don't you think this sounds a little... I know, but don't you think this sounds a little harsh? Don't you think it sounds a little cultic? Isn't, isn't it a little... Well, I'm trying, I'm trying to be nice here and without being judgmental. Why would somebody steer away from this kind of stuff even if they were a nice person? Yeah, it sounds like it sometimes, but then he comes around and says stuff like, whoever's not with me is against me. He's a master of these kinds of sayings. You know, he's a nice guy, but he hits you in the face with these two-by-fours that were like, hey, you can't... Oh, I mean, I'm not trying to refute you at all. But the master did talk a lot about spiritual warfare. And in fact, he said, you know, his ba- bas- basic thesis was is that I I came here, I came here to dethrone Satan. He, he talks about this very clearly in especially the Gospel of John. But in John 14 through 17, you'll see it very clear. He talks about the prince of this world who is now going to be cast down and cast out because of what he's going to do on the cross. Now, I'm not trying to refute you. I... I you're right. You're not going to ever get anything in the Bible that's more vivid and shocking than the book of Revelation. And Jesus was, you know, maybe less, but it still gets down to that Christ is invading a world that's being dominated by a fallen angel, and he's here to rescue us. That's what we, that's what the Christian story is trying to get us to believe. All right, let's go here, and then I'll come right back to you. Yes. Yeah, so we don't want to talk about this kind of stuff. And I'm, listen, I'm here talking about it. So, And I'm not trying to make, I don't want it to come off like, I'm standing for the truth and everyone else isn't. So that's not what I'm saying. But when you teach about this kind of stuff, it's so controversial. And so, let's be honest, isn't it somewhat frightening? I mean, you read these books and you will get, in the best sense of the word, the hell scared out of you. <laughs> because it talks about the conspiracy that's going on between angels fighting in the heavenly places and how it impacts our lives. And when you start actually believing that this is the world that you live in, hey, it makes life more complicated. It's easier, judge, to just say, oh, come on, you don't have to worry about all that other stuff. Just be nice love each other, play in the sandbox, don't hurt, be happy. happy. I Uh, I do too. (coughs) But um, we're here to find out, you know, we we have to find out what the scriptures teach and then compare it to our culture and see where we're going to go. Yes, sir. Uh, Okay, Brandon. Ah, you're on. so hot. <laughs> no, wait. I, I'm, I'm to yes. Yes. Now y- you, when you say something. okay so you could okay, go this is, this is the only now, thing we have. Like John, yeah. Now. You have to by beautiful. Find
1: the but
0: Okay, now let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. You said, well, we have this book that says this is the way it is. But is that the only thing that the Christian faith is supposed to have to, as evidence? Yes, Jim. You cannot read Paul's letters without having... Right. Right. He was. They're all saying the same thing. And, and, and he saying, no, you sin the less because of grace. <clears throat> and men of Athens, I see you're religious. Let me tell you about the one true God. Paul said the same argument. Agreed. 50 years earlier. Agreed. You, you, ha- you don't have to dwell in this. Condition. No, you don't. This is one way of looking at it. That's sure. perfectly right. But what I want to ask uh, off of Brandon's question is. Is it true, and I'm not trying to make it out that you said something that you don't mean to say, so it's not refutational at all, but is this the only thing that we have as evidence? No, we, have the Holy Spirit in us. we have the Holy Spirit. We have the exchanged life when we allow Christ to live through us. We have the spiritualities, the sp- spiritual gifts that are supposed to be exploding out through those people who are yielded to Christ. Those and... Well, there will be, if somebody has the gift of evangelism, for example, right? The supernatural ability to proclaim and herald the good news about Jesus in such a way that it makes that message compelling and irresistible to not yet Christians. If somebody has that gift, that's a mighty weapon, Brandon, that is what? It's a piece of evidence being displayed by God in this world through that and many other gifts, that God is fighting this war and winning it. So you're right. The Bible is the main thing. But if that's the only thing we have, that might be why some worldlings aren't very interested in what we have to say. Because we're supposed to be demonstrating these things in this world right now during this war. Yes, Donna. How did Jesus say that people would know that we were his followers? By... Showing the same kind of love that he showed to us. So, this is a perfect way to end this course on angels. In the midst of this war that's going on, um, we are supposed to be the radiant icons, the displays of Christ's love and power in this world. And that is one of the ways that God is going to use us to reveal Christ. Now, sometimes you might not have to go through all of this when you're sharing the gospel with somebody. But it's pretty helpful to know. That this is what's going on. When you're in the process of doing it. This is the message of the New Testament. Hey so it was great studying with you all. I'm sorry we had to go so fast. Uh, there's There are a few extra copies up here.